0: Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. Today, we are going to discuss why it is that the Pope is the supreme authority of the Roman Catholic Church. The introduction audio was the current Popes, Pope Francis or Papa Francesco in Italian, first Mass as Pope. Even if you aren't religious or a Christian, the Pope is still a highly respected authority in the world, and the why behind his status is quite fascinating. In the Christian tradition, Jesus of Nazareth was born in the year zero. Around the age of 30, he began preaching. In approximately the year 33 CE, he was crucified by Roman authorities and was then resurrected. Those who followed Jesus during his life then created a religion around the teachings of Jesus, particularly his Sermon on the Mount and his Statements on the Cross, as well as his life. That religion was originally considered as a subdivision of Judaism in which Jesus was classified as the prophesied Messiah. Eventually this subdivision would become its own religion, related but distinct from Judaism. Scholars typically point to the Great Jewish Revolt, which occurred from 66 to 73 CE, as a time when Christians started to assert their independence, as tradition says that Jerusalem's Christians chose to flee to Pella rather than to stand with their Jewish brothers in revolt. But there is a whole controversy about that and is really another story for another day. The thing to note about this is that eventually the cult of Christianity started to break away from Judaism and form its own communities. We need to focus on the first generation of Christians to start our tale of the Pope. The closest and most important followers of Jesus were known as the Twelve Apostles. These Twelve helped to form the Christian tradition by spreading the good news of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, also known as Saint Peter, established the churches of Rome and Antioch. He then became the first Bishop of Rome according to Catholic tradition, and the first Bishop of Antioch according to Eastern Christian tradition. Today, the Bishop of Rome is known as the Pope, and by Catholic tradition, St. Peter was the first Pope, although the title of Pope and Vicar of Christ would not have been used during St. Peter's lifetime. Pope is a title that means father, and in that sense, the Pope is the father of the Christian Church, and holding that title places the Pope at a higher level of authority compared to his fellow bishops. It is not known exactly when the title of Pope was first used. The first time it appears in the historical record was in reference to the head or patriarch of the Church of Alexandria, Pope Heraclaus, who served from 232 to 248. Around that time, the Bishop of Rome also started to be referred to as the Pope. There were three churches who were the most influential churches in early Christianity. These were Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria. The main issue for Christians in those early years, though, was not which of those bishops held more authority than the others, no, it was survival. Roman emperors would often persecute the Christians in an effort to stop out the weird mystery cult that regularly consumed the body of their god, only worshipped one god, and refused to make sacrifices to the state religions as ordered. So the challenge was surviving and growing the faith, but once the church was on more secure footing, it allowed the church leaders to bicker amongst themselves for who was the highest authority on earth. Each of the three largest churches held a reason why they should be the highest. Allow me a moment to explain the arguments of each of the churches. The arguments are sometimes called the Primacy of Peter controversy. The basis of supreme authority for the Bishop of Rome and Antioch were similar. Both churches were said to be founded by Simon Peter, and both churches stated that St. Peter was clearly the leader of the Twelve Apostles. In this version, St. Peter was the head of Christ's earthly church and Jesus was the head of the heavenly church as St. Peter founded both churches and was the first to hold the position of bishop in Rome and bishop of Antioch, it was said that the current bishops were his heirs and had inherited his authority over the worldly Christian church. Therefore, St. Peter was the first pope and first head of the Christian church, and Pope Francis is his intellectual successor, who holds all of the same authority as God's agent on earth. Roman Catholics today and church leaders in general like to point to the Gospels to support their view of St. Peter being the preeminent apostle. The viewpoint of anyone who holds the primacy of Peter position is that Jesus gave Peter the authority in the Bible, specifically in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 to 19. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. For you Kevin Smith fans, yes, this is the Bible verse referenced in Dogma. This verse is a line of dialogue delivered from Jesus to St. Peter. Peter was the rock on which Jesus built his church, and Jesus was handing the keys of heaven to Peter. This is a lot of authority, and with that authority, Peter established the Church of Rome and the Church of Antioch. In each city, he served as bishop. He recognized that the power of the church should be held in these important cities and that the churches that he founded were the rocks from which the Church of Christ would be built. Every single bishop of Rome and Antioch held extra authority as they held the same title as Peter, and they were Peter's direct successors. This verse, the foundation of the church and the role of successor, was the foundation of how the Pope would inherit the role of Jesus' highest representative on earth. The Catholic Encyclopedia, which was published in 1907 and 1912, and is currently hosted for free on catholic.org, further discusses the primacy of Peter. In addition to the verse we already discussed, the Catholic Encyclopedia presents a few other pieces of evidence from the Bible that proves Peter held primacy over his fellow apostles. Among the reasons include the fact that the women who found Christ's tomb empty received a special message from an angel for Peter alone, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Then, out of all the apostles, Jesus only appeared to Peter on the first day after the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, verse 34, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. And then, most importantly, in John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17, Jesus reaffirms Peter's role. Here is John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. If you're unfamiliar with Christian terminology, then this exchange might be a little confusing. In the teachings of Jesus, he categorized himself as a shepherd and his followers as his lambs and sheep. In that way, it was his role to guide and care for his flock. In fact, the word pastor in Latin basically means shepherd. More exact, pastor means to lead to pasture, set to grazing, cost to eat. So Jesus asking for Peter to care for and feed his lambs and sheep would be akin to the Lord asking Peter to be the leader of his church. Immediately after commanding Peter to feed his sheep, Jesus told Peter that following him and doing his bidding would lead to Peter's painful death. The painful death would be for the glory of God and would solidify Peter's place in the kingdom of God as the Lord's true foundation of his church. Peter would live the rest of his life dedicated to the church and would not shirk his duty when the painful death came for him. Peter was famously martyred during the reign of Emperor Nero. It is disputed whether or not Nero ordered his death, but tradition holds that Peter's death happened during the Christian persecution somewhere between the year 64 and 68. His death would indeed be a painful one as he was crucified upside down. The decision for the upside down crucifixion occurred after Peter was sentenced to execution by form of crucifixion and Peter requested to be placed upside down as he felt he was not worthy to be killed in the same way as his Lord and Savior. This is where the upside down cross symbolism comes from. It is known as the cross of St. Peter and is a symbol of humility and unworthiness in comparison to Jesus. In more recent times, the upside-down cross has been embraced by punk rock and heavy metal bands as a symbol of anti-authority, but I would bet they did not know that they are really just celebrating St. Peter and informing the world that they are unworthy compared to Christ. Islamic tradition also teaches that Peter was the first Imam, or leader, after Jesus and thus the primacy of Peter is supported amongst Muslims who view him as the Prince of the Apostles. This does not give us an insight into the early, early Christians' beliefs, but it does show by the time of the Prophet Muhammad, who started preaching in the year 610, that there was wide support for the Primacy of Peter concept. The Church of Alexandria was the main opponent to the idea that St. Peter was the leader of the apostles and by extension, the first leader of the Christian church. The Church of Alexandria, of course, highly respected St. Peter, and Peter is regarded as one of the first canonical saints by all denominations of Christianity that recognize saints. So, their argument was not anything against St. Peter. Alexandria simply held that the apostles were all equal, and therefore any church that was founded by an apostle held a higher authority. In the early days of the church, this meant that Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch were all apostolic sees apostolic meaning of the apostles, and see being a church's area of authority. Alexandria was founded by St. Mark the Evangelist. In later years after christianity was made the state religion of the roman empire the church of jerusalem and church of constantinople also claimed to be apostolic sees. jerusalem being founded by saint peter and saint james while eastern orthodox tradition holds that the church of constantinople was founded by saint andrew though in saint andrew's time it was known as the church of byzantium the unique ability of these churches to link their heritage to people who heard the word of god from jesus gave these churches pride of place amongst all churches. We won't touch on the Armenian Apostolic Church today, but for you trivia junkies, tradition holds that the Apostles Bartholomew and Thaddeus founded the church, and the Kingdom of Armenia was the first country to adopt Christianity as their state religion in the year 301. According to the Annario Pontifico, or Pontifical Yearbook, the second bishop of Rome was Pope Linus but Clement I is generally thought of as the official heir to Peter's authority. The other heir to St. Peter's authority was the Bishop of Antioch, and specifically St. Ignatius. This rivalry between Antioch and Rome is one of the pieces of the primacy of Peter controversy, but those in Antioch, rather than saying that Peter did not have authority, instead argued that since Peter established the Church of Antioch before the Church of Rome, that the Bishop of Antioch should be the Church leader, rather than the Bishop of Rome, or at the very least, they should be equal. That piece just adds to the confusion as schisms occurred, but we can cover those a different day. We won't stay on St. Clement and St. Ignatius too long. Obviously, how I just described them as saints means that both are well-respected within the church. The piece to note is that even in those early days of the church, the Christians had a very good idea of the hierarchy and how important it was to be obedient to those higher. In his letter to the Smyrnians, St. Ignatius describes the hierarchy in the following way that all things therefore be done by you with good order in Christ. Let the laity be subject to the deacons, the deacons to the presbyters, the presbyters to the bishop, the bishop to Christ, even as he is to the father. As you can see from the beginning, it was the bishops who were the closest to Christ. Eventually it was decided which of those bishops was the closest. We are now going to skip ahead to the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea occurred in the year 325 during the reign of Constantine the Great. It was categorized as the first ecumenical council of the Christian church, ecumenical meaning worldwide, which meant that the entire Christian church was invited and had the goal of promoting Christian unity and cooperation. It was responsible for determining what was canon and what was heretical. Similarly to how I said last episode that any episode where I talk about the law, I would have to talk about the Magna Carta. Any episode where I talk about Christianity, I'll have to talk about the Council of Nicaea. It is one of those hugely influential events that echoes very loudly throughout eternity. The almost 300 years between Christ's death and the Council of Nicaea had seen a slow transformation of religious practice throughout the ancient world, at least the ancient world of Europe, North Africa, and Western Asia. In general, the popularity of the old pagan religions were waning and the popularity of the new monotheistic religions were waxing. Monotheism is the belief that there is only one God. Monotheistic religions that were gaining popularity included Christianity, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, Sol Invictus, and various others. While it can be a difficult thing to measure, by the year 300, the Christians numbered somewhere around 10% of the population of the Roman Empire. In the early years of the 4th century, the last great persecution of Christians occurred under Diocletian, but once Constantine the Great came to power, the Battle of the Milvian Bridge happened in 312, and the Edict of Milan, which legalized Christianity, occurred in 313, Christians were suddenly not only safe inside the empire, but given pride of place as the religion of the emperor. Christianity would officially become the state religion of the Roman Empire somewhere between 389 and 392 under the reign of Theodosius I. This acceptance by the emperor allowed the church to seem more legitimate to the common person, but it also made the little doctrinal disagreements and the question of who was the leader of the church more important. Suddenly church leaders did not have to worry about the survival of the religion and instead about the eternal life of their souls. Constantine liked things to be nice and organized, so he helped organize a council to bring together all of the people who disagreed so they could make compromises to form one official church canon. The Council of Nicaea resulted in the first uniform Christian doctrine and was encapsulated by the Nicene Creed. This statement of belief is still set in church services today, albeit with some minor changes, but for this episode we are not going to focus on the creed. The thing that concerns why the Pope is the supreme figure was another piece that was discussed at the Council of Nicaea. The actual result of the discussion of who was the most important member is somewhat disputed. There are three general conclusions. The first, and the one supported by the Catholic Church, is that the council found the Bishop of Rome to be the leader of Christendom. The second the bishops of Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria, as the three most important and populous cities of the Roman Empire, were given equal standing as the three most important members of Christendom. The third, no agreement was reached, and the continued importance of these positions held because of the importance of the cities, not because of the inherent primacy of the positions. The one that seems to have the most support is the second theory. This is supported in Canon 4, which is generally interpreted to mean that the bishops of a metropolis were of higher authority, which by extension would mean that the larger cities were even more important. Canon 6 specifically mentions the jurisdictions of the three largest and states the following. Let the ancient customs in Egypt, Libya, and Pentapolis prevail, that the Bishop of Alexandria have jurisdiction in all these, since the like is customary for the Bishop of Rome also. Likewise, in Antioch and the other provinces, let the churches retain their privileges. This canon can be seen to uphold the special privileges and authority of Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria. Roman Catholics point to this canon as proof that the Pope held higher authority, as the wording can make it sound as if Rome is giving the privileges to Alexandria, which would make Rome higher than Alexandria, but therein lays the dispute. In addition to the title of Pope, which was predominantly used by the Bishop of Rome and Bishop of Alexandria, the title of Patriarch began to be applied to the five highest authorities of the Church. This included the bishops of Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Constantinople, also known as the five apostolic sees I mentioned earlier. It was common to refer to these five as equals or refer to the Pope of Rome as the first among equals. The Pope never recognized what is sometimes known as the Pentarchy and instead continued to hold to the point that the Bishop of Rome was preeminent over all of the church and that the four patriarchs were then equal one step below him. The Council of Nicaea occurred in the year 325 and 151 years later, 476, is the year where we mark the fall of the Western Roman Empire in those 150 years imperial authority and the power of the emperor grew weaker and weaker in the west as the emperor grew weaker the power vacuum was solely filled by the next biggest authority figure in the west the pope as well as the gothic kings but we're not going to talk as much about them today one thing that separated rome from alexandria antioch jerusalem and constantinople was that rome was in the west naturally the people started to look toward the earthly father for guidance in the absence of the emperor and slowly the assertion of papal primacy grew stronger. Pope Leo I, also known as St. Leo the Great, served as Pope from September 440 to his death in November 461. He helped to create the mold and role of the Pope that we are familiar with today. For those of you familiar with Roman history, Pope Leo was the Pope who met with Attila the Hun and convinced the Hunnic king to abandon his invasion of Italy, thereby saving the people of Italy and the populace in Rome from a violent invasion and sacking. All the emperor's might was unable to save the people from Attila the Hun, but the pope, under the guidance of heaven, was able to deliver his people from the great evil of the Huns. Pope Leo's successors only built upon that legacy and after the fall of the Western Roman Empire's imperial authority, there was no one else who held the same level of authority throughout the west. Over time, this authority continued to grow until it became unquestioned. For instance, Charlemagne the Great recognized papal authority when he requested the pope to crown him as emperor of the Romans. This symbolic ceremony confirmed to those watching it that the Pope held a religious authority over even kings and emperors. This was formalized in the Holy Roman Empire, and as monarchies and imperial courts replaced the old Roman provinces, each of those new kings, queens, emperors, and empresses only held secular authority, and their divine right to rule was partially predicated on their kingdom remaining in communion with Rome and the Pope. The idea behind the primacy of Rome only grew stronger as Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem were conquered by the Muslims. Once the Great Schism of 1054 occurred and split the church between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Roman Catholic Church, there was no other religious authority in the West with the prestige of the Pope. So in summary, the Pope is the Pope because he is the successor of St. Peter through his role as the Bishop of Rome. The Pope holds preeminence as St. Peter was the preeminent apostle. The Council of Nicaea upheld and made canon that the Church of Rome should have all the ancient privileges afforded to the Church, the fall of central authority of the Western Roman Empire allowed for him to assume authority, sheer force of will, the ability to stick to the story that the Pope should be preeminent, and finally because Rome was the only one of the five ancient bishoprics to remain wholly independent since its founding. I hope that that all made sense. I know it tackled quite a few confusing subjects. If you have any questions or would like clarification, you can comment on the episode, post about it in the show's Facebook group. You can also find the show's website at whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com. My sources for today's episode include the Vatican's website and online archive at vatican.va. It also included the 6th Nicene Canon and the Papacy by Father James F. Laughlin, the Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers, second series, edited by Philip Schaff and Henry Wace, The Doctrine and Practice in the Early Church by Stuart G. Hall, ChristianHistory.org, Zenit.org, NewAdvent.org, BiblicalCatholic.org, The Livius Project, The Catholic Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, The Pontifical Yearbook, and a few other locations. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to today's episode. Make sure to take the three extra seconds out of your day to subscribe using your favorite podcast application, whether that be Acast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or what have you. If you're feeling generous, I would also appreciate if you reviewed the show or even better, told someone about it. Okay, that is it for me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Why Is That podcast. Until next time, cheers.